Amen. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, just in case you don't know, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and I'm so glad you guys have joined us this morning. Um, very quickly, I want to draw your attention to your table. Uh, the first thing on there is our connection card, and I would encourage you, uh, as we open God's words, we just sang about how great our God is. God's going to speak to us. Let us know how we can pray for you, encourage you, and what God's doing in your life. But also, this is our last Sunday in our Season of Hope series, where we have spent the past month focusing on our mission partners. And today we have Cassie here from The Hub, which is really our original mission partner from the very, very beginning. We partner with them, and it's just very dear to our hearts the ministry they do, to see their step of faith, their entire staff that loves and serves our city so well, and the blessing uh, to partner with them. And I will say this too, my hope and prayer is that Cassie will, yes, encourage us, but also challenge us this morning as a church to not just stay on the sidelines, but actually step into the brokenness and love and serve our entire city. So she's going to be here in a minute. And so very quickly, I'm going to be in James 5 this morning, and I'm actually going to wrap up the book of James today with the two last verses in that book, which almost seem kind of peculiar um, when you read them. But as you think about the entire book and how James lays things out, he gives the picture for how to kind of move forward. Verse 19 says here, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, I would encourage you to underline wonders in your Bible or your app or whatever you have, wonders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James, in these two verses, he wraps up this entire book where he's preached to the church on these core truths of the Christian faith, right? As he wraps this up, he gives the picture of two people, of two characters. First is the wanderer, the one who believed in the truth of the gospel, but has wandered and walked away. The second character is that of the restorer, the one who restores and brings the wanderer back into the family back into the truth of the gospel. And the truth is, as Christians, at some point in our lives, I believe we're all going to be a wanderer and we're all going to be a restorer if we're faithful. Because what the great hymn tells us, come thou fount, we're prone to wonder, correct? But also, church, we are called, we have a responsibility to restore people, restore those who've wandered away back to the faith. So the wanderer, so we think about the wonder, what are they wondering from? Look at verse 19 again. He says, if anyone among you wonders from the truth. We just saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, correct? In the entire book of James, he's laying out this picture that the truth of the gospel, James 1.18 says, we believe in the truth of the gospel, we become this first fruits of creation. We become this foretaste for the world to see of the truth of the gospel. We just sang that one day all the earth will cry out and sing praises to God. Yes and amen, that is true. But the church today is the foretaste of what is coming. We are the first fruits of a new creation. And throughout the book of James, James lines out, if we believe in this truth, here is what this new creation looks like. This new creation actually cares and loves and serves and restores the poor. This new creation does not show partiality to those that aren't like us. This new creation gives their money away. This new creation tames their tongue. This new creation backs their faith and words up with actual works. This is the picture of the new creation. And so James is saying that some people in this church are going to wander away from new creation work and wander and stumble into something else. And I will tell you, church, never in my life, never in my life have I ever seen such an easy season for the church to wonder. It is so easy for us to wonder. And as I look out today, as I think, as I prayed this week, I really see it really in our context two ways that we are wondering. The first way that I see us wondering is the obvious way, the one that makes the most sense. Listen, 
There's a pandemic, if you didn't hear. I didn't know if you knew that or not. And it has changed our entire world. And for the church, it's been this challenge of gathering, correct? Not just gathering like this as a big group, but also gathering in a smaller sense. Just being in someone's home can feel dangerous right now. So with all of those things said, it is so easy to wonder. It is so easy for us, the church, to take steps away from the faith. And here, here's the thing about wondering, is you don't purposefully wonder. You don't drift on purpose. Here's what happens. After weeks and months of a few things happening, of not gathering with the body of Christ in some way, whether it's online or physical, to gather with the body of Christ, to be encouraged by God's word, to cry out together to our God. When we forsake the idea of being with a small, with just one or two people, to really get down to the mess and to share the hurts, the struggles, and the sins. And then we find ourselves wandering away from God's word in the day in and the day out. We have functionally wandered away from the bread of life. And what happens is we feel ourselves becoming disconnected, but yet, here's the truth, you don't see your drifting. We don't see our drifting. And I will tell you right now, Many times, as, as me and Luke have talked, the, the pulpit, I guess the pulpit, um, that we have, we call it like the air war. And the air war of just kind of crying out and calling out people to repentance is not that effective right now. Because we have so much media and news and noise coming at us that it's hard to really hear the truth. But I will tell you, when a loving friend sits you down and asks you, what is going on? Are you okay? Those little steps like that can bring a wanderer back to the faith better than a thousand sermons. And so many of us have wandered away from just not walking with God, just not doing the ABCs of gathering with people, confessing sins, reading God's word, and we've drifted away. And what happens is we're drifting away. There's this real sense of like fake freedom. So if I'm not gathering with other believers, well, on my Sunday, I can go to Target. You know, that Tuesday morning where I got up and I met those men for a Bible study and just kind of share struggles, I can sleep in now. And there's this real sense of freedom as you wander away. But hear this, friends, it's a freedom that does not last. Because the freedom you feel is a freedom to do as you please, to sense, serve yourself. And what happens is you've exchanged freedom in God's way for a new slave, which is yourself and your desires. And friends, that does not last. That wandering will lead you down a tough road. That's the obvious way. We all can see that. We're all kind of fighting against that ourselves. I feel like this idea of just kind of wandering away and being disconnected. But there's also a more subtle way. In church, I'm just going to, I might step on some toes here for, for just a moment. And I'm a nice person, so you like me, so it's all okay. But there's a subtle way, friends, that we can go to church every single Sunday. We can serve every single time. We can go, we can go through a small group. We can serve other people. We can give. We can do all those kinds of things and still wander and drift away. Here's what I mean. You might not wander away from cultural Christianity. You might, might be right in that sweet spot where you're attending events, you're feeling okay, your guilt feels okay because you've done these three or four things. We've wandered away from Jesus Christianity, but we're just firmly in cultural Christianity. And if I'm being honest today, that is the fear for me, for us as a pastor. It's that myself and that we wander away from the faith of Jesus to the faith of something else, to a cultural Western kind of faith. And here's what I mean. It is so easy. I will tell you, as a church, we are discipling against culture and not just secular progressive culture. We are discipling against all kinds of media and culture, all the messages, all the news, all the politics, friends, hear this today. It's renewing your mind to something. Romans 12 says, renew your mind to the Lord, correct? But the media, the politics, it's renewing our minds to something else. So I read a quote this week, and here comes where the, where the toes get stepped on, from a, a leader 
political leader, it says this right here. He says, I am happy to inform all the people living their suburban lifestyle dream that you will no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in your neighborhood. Here's the problem. The first is that quote appeals to a dark side of my heart. That quote appeals to the part of me that wants comfort and security above everything else. That I want to be left alone from people who might hurt my kids. That I want the property value of my house to stay right here for my future. But here's the problem. And I mean this with all my heart. That is the opposite of the way of Jesus. The church does not run away from those that are hurting and poor and forgotten. The church runs into the fire. And friends, I lay awake at night, me and Luke pray and are bothered because we could just subtly walk into this kind of faith. Because these kinds of things are discipling us. Do you hear me? The culture and politics and media many times are discipling us greater than the truth and the beauty of the way of Jesus. Listen, we can sing all day long the way, the truth, and the life, but we're ignoring the least among us. James says it's a hollow faith. It's a fake faith. And so, friends, I'm imploring all of us because we wander towards the safety and comfort and security. And friends, I can tell you, I am a peacemaker, harmonious person, and I drift towards this every single day. That's how I wonder. And so, friends, we must be careful to not wonder. And what's interesting is when the both ways people wonder, right? Just kind of walking away from the, 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 the basis of the faith, not attending, not walking with God, or this kind of subtle shift. They're both what you see in Matthew 7. Turn there very quickly. Matthew 7, verse 24. And this was, uh, I came to our little uh, VBS on Wednesday night, and our kids learned this passage, and it just jumped out at me. As we wander away thinking we have freedom to do what we want and not be a part of the community of faith, or this kind of subtle shift and wander towards security and comfort. Here's what we're doing. Verse 21, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. When we wonder, friends, we're getting away from the rock. We're getting away from true security, true joy, and true life and true freedom. And everyone who, do, who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall on it. Friends, here's what's happening. We've, we're all, in a sense, experiencing some kind of wonder in our lives, spiritual wonder. And what's happening is you're feeling the effects of a life built on sand. And what James is encouraging us, the church, to do is to restore each other back to a solid foundation. But James today is not telling us we need a new sermon series or even me to talk. What he is saying today is that we as the church, as the family of God, have a mutual responsibility to watch out and restore each other. Look at 19 through 20 again. He says here in verse 20, Sorry, verse 19. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, it's this picture, anyone among you. It's this familial language that James has, doesn't it? It's this picture not of a big, like, you know, kind of corporation or business or kind of entity that's doing a Sunday service. It's a picture of a family. If anyone among you, it's an assumption that you know each other, isn't it? If anyone among you wonders away, we're then called to be a restorer. James is painting a picture here of this tight-knit, truly known people. Listen, part of your Christian responsibility is not just to serve and give, but it's to each other. Like, we are here to watch each other's back. I have two sons, and like, 
you know, when they go back to school, it's going to be rough. They have been like, like this for six months. Every day, together, codependent, the entire thing. But I'll tell you, they have each other's back. If I start wrestling with one, the other one's coming in and jump on me. And there is this sense that we as the family of God should have this supernatural community, which is tough in a divisive world, isn't it? All right, I'm going to get off. Let me keep going. So for this to happen, a few things are required of us as the church. To be restorers, right, to be a truly restorative people, we need three things. First, we must know each other. Listen, I can't restore a stranger. That's going to go very badly for me and the stranger, correct? We must know each other. Here's a tragedy. is when, when, when somebody wanders from the faith and no one notices. And, and many times what happens is somebody wanders from the faith and only a pastor might notice. We must know each other. This requires from each of us in a faith family two things. Consistency. We must be consistent with each other. Quite simply, we, we must show up for each other. I will tell you, on a Sunday gathering, or if you're gathering other believers throughout the week, you're not just showing up for yourself. Of course you come to worship, be with God, and be encouraged. But you're also showing up for your brother and your sister, for them to see your faith, your face, for them to hear your words. We're showing up consistency for, for each other. Second thing, we must be vulnerable. We must be vulnerable. Friends, we must take off the mask. Well, that's a bad thing to say right now. But we must take off the mask of hiding from each other, correct? We must be known. I've said before, uh, is Tim Clements here somewhere? He's here somewhere. you got to share that last 10%. So this is like nine years ago. I said that in a sermon. And then I used Tim as an example of what he shared in my community group. That last 10%, don't do that. Keep that between you and that person. But that last 10%, that thing you don't want people to know or to find out, we must take those things off. We must be consistent and vulnerable so that we can be known. So that when we're in our, when we're in our pits, we're in the valley, and we're wandering away, there's a brother and sister calling us back to the truth of the gospel. Second thing, we must speak up when we see someone wondering. We must speak up when we see wondering. Here's what tends to happen, if I'm going to challenge us. We tend to speak out when we see wondering, don't we? We don't speak up. We don't speak to the person. This is the picture of Ephesians 4, right? This is truth and love. To truly lovingly speak to someone in truth, you must love them ferociously. You must love them deeply. Think about your, your, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your sibling. You love them ferociously. And you'll speak truth freely, right? I think our problem with the church of speaking truth is, of course, fear, but it's also love. If I believe the words of God and I see you walking towards a life built on sand... I am evil if I don't speak up, correct? I don't truly love you. So we must lovingly speak truth. Now listen, here's the problem, is that we've been discipled into an environment many times where we believe that is the pastor's job. If we see a problem, we outsource to the pastor. Now listen, that is definitely a part of the pastor's role, to restore folks back to the faith. And listen, as a part of a Christian, that's my role as well. But I will tell you, you have a responsibility to your brother and sister. Not a burden, but a joyful responsibility to your brother and sister to restore and bring them back to the faith. Last thing. To see this happen, we must walk with God. Yes, we have to be consistent and vulnerable and known. We must speak truth. But all those are invalid and actually probably not helpful if we're not walking with God because you need a supernatural humility to do this. If we're not walking with God, we're just going to really just yell at people and not speak truth in love. But if you walk with God and are aware of what God has done in your life, you are full of so much grace and mercy and humility that your words are salty, correct? And so you restore people back in the way of Jesus. Listen, this is not... How do I say this? This is the work of taking up your cross and following Jesus. It is. It's watching your own heart from not drifting, but also the responsibility 
of caring and restoring your brother and sister. This is not easy, but it is really important work. I will say, you know, one of the joys of being a pastor, and that's what's true of some of you in this room, is to be able to lovingly call you back to the truth of the gospel. That's one of the greatest joys of my life and my ministry, and I want to invite you into that with us. Because here's the real beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel takes the wanderer, the one who has wandered off the path, and restores them to one day they're the restorer. And listen, those of you today who feel like you have wandered away, those of you today who feel like, man, I have conviction here, the good news of the gospel is this right, Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. He is slow to anger and hear this. He is abounding in steadfast love. So whenever we are not steadfast and we're wondering and we feel the drift, and if I'm honest with you, we, I have felt that conviction in my own life this week. The steadfast love of the Lord is calling you back. And as he calls you back, church, and you submit and repent and trust in his good news, you're going to restore with a gentleness, with a grace, with a mercy, with a Christ-likeness that will allow the church of Jesus Christ to be this true first fruits of a new creation. That we can go out into a world built on sand and show them the joyful picture of a church built on the rock of Jesus. I've got two things for you today. Two, two encouragements, two next steps. First, watch out for your own soul. My question is, today, are you wondering? Are you wondering today? Second thing, watch out for your brother and sister. Who among you is wondering? Who in your life is wandering away from the faith that God is calling you out to? Not to berate, but to simply and prayerfully ask this, right, this question, what is going on right now? That's what this looks like, really. It's not you coming and preaching at them. It's saying, what's going on right now? And I promise you, the Things will open up from there. Are you wondering? Are you restoring? Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the beauty that allows a wanderer to become a restorer. Lord, let us this morning just rest in your steadfast love. Let us conf confess where we have not trusted in your steadfast love and look to other lesser things. All right. So far away. Yeah, you can come a little closer. You know, I don't, I don't know who's policing this. Um, uh, for all of you that don't know, this is my friend Cassie. And, hey, everybody. Uh, we spent some time a uh, long, 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 long time ago uh, in uh, growing up uh, in the same youth group, yeah. kind of, and um, known Cassie for a long time, and. Um, Anyway, it's an honor for you to be here. You've known me too long. That's yeah, the long scary time. thing. You, Jason, and Leighton know yeah. just enough about my awkward years to make you dangerous. Oh, man. Those awkward years are, are great for everybody, aren't they? Um, what, what, do you, what do you feel when you see that video? I'm sure you've seen it a lot of times. Oh, gosh. I love Herman so stinking much. Like, he is, he's like family to me. Um, I think I just listened to his story and just am thankful for the faithfulness of God and thankful for um, that God would, and this is for all of us, but that God would impart his wisdom into me and us and to see his wisdom played out practically is what I think about when I hear Herman because um, the Lovewell Center um, was straight from the heart of God for the people of this city. And so I just always feel super humbled that God would speak so clearly to me, like a super flawed, beyond flawed vessel. But to be able to see um, the fruits of God's vision for our city sure. is super humbling. Well, let's talk uh, a little more about that. Um, when we first started uh, serving with you guys, uh, it was just a trailer. And had a lot shoved in that little trailer um, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, tell us, uh, and I'm sure uh, it, it's, you could say a lot, hours upon this vision uh, that you talk about, but tell us a little more about that, like your vision for the hub and why Shreveport and 
how all that kind of came together. Yeah, so um, I always say that I accidentally started the hub. Um, it, that is, anyone who was around at the beginning would say, yeah, that was evident. <laughs> um, uh, it was a total accident in the sense that I just was responding to what I was hearing God say for me personally. And I never really thought about, I didn't go to school to run a nonprofit. I didn't, um, that, that was never really on my radar was to actually start a ministry, not one time. Mm. And so um, I think that's a pretty unique story because um, I was simply just responding to what God was asking me to do personally. And I'm super thankful for that because um, what I learned in the personal obedience was that um, friendship with the poor wasn't just a, a base for starting a ministry, that it was um, what being a Jesus follower actually was. And, and I learned being personally obedient that I needed the poor in my life. And that maybe the version of Christianity up until that point um, was more cultural, like you said, than it was biblical. Um, and so I'm thankful that I didn't, you know, shoot out of the gate, like ready to start a ministry because I just know in the like marrow of my bones, some things to be true because of those years of personal obedience and really, it actually started in the trunk of my car. So you came along when it was fancy. <laughs> we actually had a trailer. We, we had a trailer, and it even we still have that trailer. Yeah. Um, and so it started out of the trunk of my car, out of my own bank account. I, like it wasn't something that I really had vision for necessarily. But then, as some time went on, and and it became evident that something was happening. And this is the other part of the hub that I, our story that I love is that God was moving and kind of God was ahead of us. We were not ahead of him in this. In fact, I was like probably 10 miles back from understanding what he was doing. And so from the very beginning, we have been chasing the heart of God for this city and it still feels like that. You know, there's a there's an organic nature to how we do things. Um, but from the very beginning, it was clear that God was doing something in our city and that he was choosing as a vehicle at the time, not the hub because it didn't have a name, but this kind of ragtag group of people. I mean, it just kind of picked up steam and all of those things. And I remember uh, my dad came to me one day and he was like, hey, um, it's probably per- pretty irresponsible to keep taking people's money into your own bank account and then, like, buying hot dogs with it. Like, you should probably <laughs> become a 501c3. And I was like, a what? <laughs> I don't want to do that. That sounds like a lot of paperwork. That sounds really. And he was like, I'm going to do it for you. And I was actually, like, super resistant. Um, but I just remember the moment where I was like, oh, no, this is a thing was we pulled up to feed in a parking lot at Christmas and 300 people came to eat and somehow 150 volunteers had heard about it and showed up and I had no plan. And I remember sitting in my car looking at all of these people and I was like, oh gosh, like this is a thing. Like <laughs> we, we now have a thing happening that I, you know, so I love that that's the story because it was God doing it. There, there was no um, forcing the hand of what he was doing. And so um, out of that was birthed this vision that is what you see now and what you hear. And um, from the very beginning, God was so clear with my heart that if this was a thing that he was doing, that it had to have two elements. One is it had to be born out of friendship with the poor. That it couldn't be about fixing them. It couldn't be about um, a God complex that was like, hey, we're going to, like it had to come from knowledge and deep friendship with people living um, in poverty and homelessness. And, and that's a really hard sell. I'm going to be truthful. I remember being like, yeah, that's not going to be easy to get people to do. <laughs> um, but then the other thing, was that God wanted the hub to be a kind of a gathering place for the church. 
And from the very beginning, um, I have known the seat that we were in was not to do for the church what the church is called to do, but to come alongside the church and equip the church to be the body of Christ um, and to serve the way Jesus would have them. And so those two things have been true from the very beginning and, and still are true now. And then what you hear with Herman, the vision that God birthed in us was to be a place where people belonged. Okay, so you hear that in, in his story. Um, but also a place that called out of them their God-given design. Because the truth is, um, a man living under a bridge, completely addicted to cocaine, was knit together in his mother's womb with purpose and value and a destiny and a plan and all of these things by the same God that did that stuff for us. <laughs> like we are, we are privileged to be in this room, but we are no different than that man under, the, under that bridge in the sense of the care that was taken in designing who we are. And so we are really um, passionate, not just about addressing the physical parts of poverty and like the justice issues, but we want to call out of people that original design and their gifts and abilities. Um, and we do that through the model we use at the Lovewell Center, which is an earning and empowerment model. So nothing we have is free. You know, there's this kind of friction of attending classes or counseling or turning in your job hours or helping clean the yard in exchange for the physical things people need. Um, and so in that process, what you hear like in Herman's example is it does call out that deep sense of purpose that that's not given by the hub to Herman. Right. That's directly from his father. Yeah. That God, that deep purpose you hear in him um, was there the entire time. And so we also believe the seat that we sit in people's life is not to do for them, just like with the church. You know, we're not called to do for the church. We're not called to do for people in poverty, things that they can do for themselves. Um, and it's, it's not on us to create purpose in them because we don't have to. Like, it's right. there. So our seat is to just remove the kind of burden and the weight of poverty, clear the pathway, right? Like, just clear out the path in front of them so that they can hear from God about their purpose. And so we could talk for literally yeah. hours, but that's, that's kind of the very nutshell of the hub. Tell me, um, in the statement that's on the screen here, um, to give everyone in our city an access to restored life. Where did, where did that come, and how does that kind of It's a very audacious out? statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, that is our mission statement, actually. It's very, the words were, um, they're very important to us, like every word of that statement, one being the word everyone. So um, we really believe at the Hub that everyone can receive access to a restored life through friendship with the poor. The poor included, but us included. And we believe that if, if the body of Christ comes and engages with the homeless, the poor, the sexually exploited, all of the populations we serve, that they too will receive rest a restoration of sorts of their heart. Right. Um, maybe a reviving of faith, right? Like a reviving of understanding the gospel. So we actually don't believe that we only exist for the poor um, at the hub. We believe that anyone who engages what God is doing in our city will find restoration and will find um, a part of their heart being healed or changed. And so that word, everyone, is a big deal to us. We work really hard to level the playing field um, in our work, meaning um, we don't we don't use the we try not to use what we call the V word, the volunteer word. We try really hard with language that con consistently kind of just is like we are all mutually in need here, and we are all created by the same God. And this is not not that we ignore right that there's the reality of physical privilege obviously is there, but we try to create environments where that word everyone you can feel it. Right. where we're all eating together, where we're all participating in something together, where there's not this, like, I'm going to stand against the wall and give you food, right. but instead, like, I'm going to sit and, and eat with you. So those are kind of a practical example of that word, everyone. And then restored life for us, when it comes to the populations we serve, we define it with four R's, um, rescue, 
So in order for a life to be restored, the first question we need to ask is, do they need rescue from something? And not, we don't mean that only in a spiritual sense. Um, for our work, mostly, that's a very real physical rescue, whether that's from addiction, um, living outdoors, or from human trafficking. Um, so we, rescue is our primary question. And then relationship. So we don't believe a life can be restored without relationship first to God and then with others. Um, and then the third one is recovery. So our programs focus on drug recovery, substance abuse, but also um, trauma recovery. So healing from the trauma of the lives of the, that they've lived before they've come into our program. And then last is resources. And that's just the physical food, water, shelter, clothing, and the thousand other things. Um, because we, you can't do one without the other, right? right. Like you can't just give the rescue, the relationships, the recovery, and not address the very real physical needs, but then you shouldn't do the other way, right, where you're only right. addressing the physical without the rest. So rescue, relationship, recovery, and resources, that's how we define a restored life. This is maybe a personal question for our church. How can, you know, we've, we've been serving for a long time, but it was very event-based, um, uh, we were missing that relationship piece until until we met Jesse, which was uh, the fellow that was sleeping at the front of the door, and he became a friend and celebrated Thanksgiving and Christmases with us, and um, made coffee for everybody, and we you know found him a job at a home, and um, homelessness and poverty became something very real to us, not just an event, it's that friendship piece, and it changed us way more than it changed Jesse, I promise you. Um, how do you think, but I have felt since Jesse passed away, um, I feel like our church is kind of lacking that friendship connection. What are just some basic things you could encourage us to do to take steps to not just showing up to serve and not just giving money, um, but how can we take that step on that friendship level to where we're connected via the heart not just a date on a calendar. Right. Oh, man. That's like three sermons in one, but I'll try to. Um, so I think one is if you're in a room, like if you've shown up at an event, right? Like if you're there, like you, you are in the room, God is giving you the opportunity. I think what we have to do is make, it is a very clear decision that we have to make that will change that in a moment. And that decision is, to sit down and ask one question or engage, right? Like to sit down and have a conversation um, and to do that consistently. But before that, so this is why this is a, it's a complicated answer because that would just be a practical change. That's just a logistical change, but that's not actually meaningful if our theology around the poor isn't accurate. Right. And so what we try to do at the Hub is not say, hey, go sit down and talk, right, and that be the only thing. You know, we try to teach. You know, you want to teach before that. You want to reshape people's theology about poverty because the Bible has a lot to say about it. It is an actual theology sure. that whether we have purposely shaped it, we have one. Like we, we have on accident each a theology of what we believe about poverty and justice issues and human trafficking and all those things. If we've intentionally sought it, it's probably a biblical theology. If we haven't, it's probably more based on our opinion and comfort. Yeah. And so what we, what I would say before even changing anything practically is, is letting God change you on the inside. Yeah, that's great. Because when you're changed on the inside, when you understand all that God will show you in scripture about not just the poor, but about yourself, you know, which sure, is the kicker. <laughs> um, <laughs> once he transforms you, the practical stuff, just, this is the same with everything in our lives. The practical stuff follows the internal change. And so we would just encourage people to do the harder work yeah. of asking God to teach us right. about the poor yeah. um, and our position and, and our job as followers of Christ before trying to change because behavior modification won't last right and we may force ourselves to sit across from someone but we may be like super rigid and like hi how are you i mean that's right. not 
Right. That's not flesh and bone relationship, right. you know. So I would say to first step would be to allow God to address sure. maybe your beliefs about sure. it. What's on your heart um, through the through this? <laughs> That's like I'm like roll the scroll <laughs> and find Just which in, day. Yeah. You know, you get a vantage point that a lot of us don't get. Um, you have started serving in Las Vegas. Uh, with a church there, and so you're doing a couple weeks there and a couple weeks here, and so you're seeing this not just in Shreveport but on a wider scale. Um, I think the pandemic has uh, pulled out the foundation of a lot of things that we thought were really, at least for me, and I'm hearing God say some different things that I didn't hear when I was comfortable and everything was certain, or at least I thought it was certain. Um, Maybe what's one little nugget of something that God's been sharing with you that you'd just like to Share with us. I have like two. Okay. It's not just one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I will say uh, my family, we live one month in Shreveport and one month in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and there's other parts of Nevada. People, I always have to remind people that Las Vegas isn't the state. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're actually launching in 2021 the Hub Las Vegas there. And so we're spending, we, we fly back and forth one month at a time. Um, And I say that because um, we have continued that during the global pandemic, which I was sharing before church. Um, There was one flight where we were one of 12 on the plane. And I looked at my husband and I was like, this is when you're at a fork in the road where you're either called and courageous or you're stupid. (laughs) And I'm not really sure which one we are right now. Um, But I say that to say that and um, living life with the poor during this season, those two things... Um, summed up in a word is perspective and perspective has saved my life during this because um, the way that we live has not allowed us to to stay um, kind of spin out in any like because we change and move and we're around the poor and all of those things God has that is a gift in my life to be around to be in different cities but also to be around um, people in different socioeconomic uh, statuses so one thing um, you were asking me before, what's like a burden, you know, that kind of keep you up at night thing. I know um, for me, primarily what keeps me up quite literally um, these days is um, the far-reaching ramifications for the vulnerable of this pandemic. Um, you know, we haven't seen a ton of the virus, the actual virus in the populations that we serve, thank God. Um but, you know, I, I try to think about how, how to explain what, day, what kind of work is like right now. It's, it's like um, every day it's just this one long race to keep people from just um, spinning into complete and utter devastation. Um, and it's, it's exhausting to, to watch the ramifications of the pandemic on the people that we serve and um, to watch the far-reaching effects of it. You know, so I say those who were vulnerable are even more so now. Those who were isolated are even more so now. Um, those who were experiencing abuse are simply, ex- they're experiencing in higher degrees. Um, human trafficking is still happening. Every, like everything is still going, but everyone's eyes are shifted somewhere else. And so because everyone's eyes are shifted onto the cultural moment, um, there's just this big vacuum of brokenness that's happening, and that has just been, it's devastating. It's just devastating. Um, and so that's the Debbie Downer answer, but it's just the truth. <laughs> Welcome to church. Um, but it is the truth, and I think it's important for us to understand that for the most part. I don't know any of you personally, really, but we've got it made right now for the most part. If we're experiencing discomfort of schedules and vacations being canceled and maybe school not going back and all of these things that are legitimately not comfortable and are legitimate losses. I mean, we've all lost a lot. Um, But still, with all of that being true, we are far more than privileged to be just slightly uncomfortable. And um, that has been the thing that feels very heavy for me convictionally. I want to make sure that I'm not sitting in a seat of complaining and just kind of spinning out when I know. I know because I see it every day. 
that I am made in the shade right now. And that perspective has really been challenging for me. And then the other thing I would say for the church is, um, and, and I've had a really hard time, probably like a lot of you have, putting my finger on like, there's just like, last weekend was my first time to speak on a platform and it was an interview style in a few, in six months. And he was like, share a few things and handed me the mic. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much to say. <laughs> like, I didn't realize that for so long, all of these things have been building up in my heart. And so it's really hard for me to put words to it. But I think one thing that has been super heavy for me in regards of the church and, and me in it, right? Like me being a part of that is just our allegiance, and, like, what kingdom do we serve, man? You know, like, because the kingdom that we are in cannot be shaken. I mean, Scripture says that. And where is, where is our allegiance, you know? What, what kingdom are we living under? And what, what king are we following, you know, and, and submitting to? And, um, you know, I, I feel like over the last month or so, the Lord just keeps saying the same words to me. Um, you're built for this. You're built for, he's been teaching me a lot with the desert because we live in the desert every other month, which is a whole thing <laughs> to live in the desert and a swamp. That, that <laughs> transition is very strange um, physically. <laughs> but he's been teaching me through the desert picture that as his children, we're built for desert life. Wow. Like we are built for discomfort. The tragedy is that we don't live in the desert. We live in the farmland where we have everything that we need. And we get lulled to sleep sure. by that. Right. And when the heat gets a little hotter, we get angry and we pitch a you know, hissy fit and we just, but, but the truth is, when you look at, at God's children, like, like the first stories we see of God's people, they were purposely led into the desert. And what I would love to say is that when you read about the desert in scripture, that it's kind of like from a negative sense, but it's not. <laughs> Typically, desert is where God teaches and shapes and does the most of the deep work of shaping his people. And in Jeremiah, it actually, there's a verse where you hear God kind of longing for his people to follow him back into the desert. Wow. And, you know, I've just, I feel like for my own life, um, what God has been showing me and trying to change in me is stop asking for the circumstances to change and instead ask me for what it takes to do this mm. because I'm built for it. We are built for the desert that like desert being discomfort and everything being taken from us. We're built for it. And, and honestly, like even the way we're living right now in comparison to how believers around the world have lived always mm. is not anywhere near Right. The kind of desert they're, they're living in outside of the global pandemic. Right. And so um, I think that the church can come out of this season um, looking more like Jesus. But I don't think it'll happen until we choose it. And until we understand that, like a cactus, I've been really into cactus this <laughs> season. You know, people look at a cactus and it's green. It's in the middle of a desert and it's super green and it has flowers on it. And a lot of times people are like, oh, that's because it doesn't need so much water. And that's not actually the truth. Um, I feel like I'm a desert person now, so I'm like a professional. Um, but I really just learned it on Google. But the, um, the way that a cactus's roots work is they go down and out until they find the source. And they, they are connected to a source of water. It's just their roots kind of search out for it. And so they're built for the desert. Wow. And when you look at them, they're alive and green, and they're so, I think they're cute. I have a tattoo of one. Um, and they have flowers, and their sustenance. You can get water from them. Right. So, like, in the middle of a wasteland, they are alive and thriving and giving water. Wow. And I don't know. Like, I just feel like the Lord has been saying to me personally and to us as a family, like, man, like, this, right now in the desert, I can do, like his word says, I can bring a river straight through the desert. That doesn't change, I, that, doesn't, that verse doesn't say, God doesn't say, I can change the desert into the farmland. That's not what he says. <laughs> he doesn't say, I can snap my fingers and the desert isn't the desert anymore. He right. says, I'll bring water straight through it. Wow. So it's still a desert. Right. Still a desert. 
but he moves through it in a way that is miraculous and deep mm. and becomes the source. And so, I don't know, like I just want so desperately to be a person that can live and thrive no matter what the circumstances are because I understand the kingdom that I'm in and I also understand that circumstances have never been in my control anyways. We right. just It's an illusion. Um, but what I'm learning is that what I'm finding of God in this season, I could not have found hmm. in the farmland. And that's not great news either. Sorry. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just want to be patient. I just want to be patient in the desert. And I want the church, I want so desperately, you know, what we see online right now as a, as a representation of the church is pretty tragic. And I think it doesn't look like we know what kingdom we're in. Um, and that just breaks my heart. And so for me, I've retreated. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I can't be, I can't do this. Like, I, you know, right. um, and I think we all have to find our way through it. But I think what it comes down to is understanding two things. One, what kingdom we're in right. and whose authority we're under and, and what that authority tells us about this season. And then stop wishing for circumstances to change and instead kind of search out our roots for the source and for the ability to thrive. I just want to say thank you. Um, I love you and uh, Brent and your family and what you've done. Um, and the hub has been such a great, like, woven into our little story of covenant. It has been just such a beautiful thing. And for you, kind of being a pioneer, kind of out there in front of all of us, of um, just a safe place to kind of get behind. You do all of the things that make us showing up to serve and befriend and love on so much easier, you know. And it's created a culture, you know. Even my family, we go serve every week. And so my kids know these people. They call them their downtown friends. And um, it's just, you know, kind of a cool thing. So would you pray for our church as we close, just in the same things you were talking about? Dear Father, God, we um, come to you and we first um, confess that we are nothing without you. And God, we take a second to be honest about just the garbage we're carrying in our hearts and our souls and our minds. God, we right now especially are bombarded with opinions and messages and fear and politics. God, and it's, we're not, our souls are not built for that much information. And God, I fear that your voice is equal or less than in that whole mix of messages. That's my fear is that it's equal or less than in the sense that we're not seeking it more than we're seeking Twitter or opinions or the CDC or Facebook. God, that we're seeking you less than those things. That's my fear, God, is that your voice, although you are always speaking, God, my fear is that we are not listening. We're not tuning our ears into you any more than we're tuning them into everything else. And if that's true about us, God, there's a reason why we feel the way that we feel. God, there's a reason why we feel withered and tired and disconnected and angry and bitter and confused and disappointed. God, if we're feeling those things, first, we want to recognize that we're feeling those things. And that those things are not normal. <laughs> They're not the things you want for us. God, you don't want us to be angry and bitter and political. That's not your desire for us at all. But if we're not listening to you, we will end up there. And so I pray, God, that as your children, we would come back to our Father. God, you show me a picture every day of what you see in me. And, I, and, and every time, it's a version of a child with a red face running around outside, sweating, 
dirty, just out of breath, frantic. And there are days that that's what I feel like. Just all over the place and exhausted and red-faced from running around. And every time I come to you, you put your hands around me and you calm my heart and you calm my mind because you are my Father. And we confess and ask for forgiveness that we haven't been living that way. That we aren't living like you're our Father. God, we also confess that we may be bowing the knee to things that are not you. God, your kingdom cannot be shaken. When all else fails, you don't. Our political parties will fail. Our beliefs and opinions will fail. Our society's structures will fail. And if our hope is in any of that, our hope will fail. But you never fail. And your purposes stand. When everything else falls, your purposes stand and your word has not changed and the mandate on us as your children has not changed. Circumstances don't change what we're called to in you. And so I pray that all of us in this room today would be reminded through what Jason shared and through our conversation that the gospel is above the mess that we've pledged allegiance to. The gospel is higher than that. The gospel lifts us above and gives us a brand new perspective of even a global pandemic. The gospel changes our perspective and I pray that we would be allegiant to your kingdom. And because of that, we would lay aside opinions and parties and because we've chosen you we would humbly bend the knee to serve to love our neighbor to speak kind words to leave the platform of the internet and actually check back in to the people around us and to give our lives to the poor because you are still calling us to that and we don't want to miss what you're calling us to even in a season that is so heavy with distraction. May we see it for what it is. May we label it as distraction. May we label it as less than because it is. And may we choose you again and again and again. Even if that means every 30 minutes of choosing you, would you consistently pursue our hearts and bring our attention back God, because we are prone to wander. And God, we pray for our city. God, we pray for the things that the enemy is right now using to destroy lives. God, we pray for those who are newly now in poverty because they've lost their employment and they're reeling from the whiplash of having everything they needed and now having nothing. God, we pray for the thousands of people who are going to be evicted this week and will find themselves living in their car, <laughs> or in much dangerous, much more dangerous situations. God, we pray, God, that you would cover them and protect them and that you would do something miraculous in our city that would keep them from the destruction that's on the other side. God, I pray that you would find us faithful as your body, that we would step in and we would step between the oppressed and the oppressor and we would speak up, God. God, we pray for the victims of trafficking who have nowhere to go because law enforcement isn't doing anything in that lane right now. 
God, we pray for victims of abuse. We pray for children who are now home all day long in terrible environments. God, we pray for the foster care system. God, we pray, God, across our city, there's just devastation. And God, I pray that you would give us the eyes for it, that we would stop seeing only our own devastation and we would see around us a world that is crying out in desperation for hope and answers that we have. We have them, God, you've given them to us. And so I pray that we would be good stewards of what you've given us, of our homes, our finances, our cars, our energy, our time. Because there's never in our lifetime been a time when our resources are more needed than right now. And we know that they've come directly from your hands. They're not ours anyways. And so I pray, God, that you would wreck us for the things that wreck your heart. You would forgive us and you would realign our feet back to the path that you have for us. It's in your name we pray.